0: Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, we need to address homelessness, and there's a way we're doing that in the city of Phoenix. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. We're also gonna talk about an increase in evictions and what that means for our valley. All that's coming up. But right now, let's get some people qualified or at least one person the hottest ticket in town. Here's your chance to qualify to Suns playoff tickets as they take on the Denver Nuggets. Caleb Webb of Tempe. Caleb Webb of Tempe. You have 10 minutes to call. 602-277-5827. That phone number, 602-277-5827. You have exactly 10 minutes to call. Caleb Webb from Tempe. If Caleb doesn't call in 10 minutes, we'll open the phones and one of you will qualify to possibly win. And Suns playoff tickets, so stay tuned. Um... The idea of a society, we talked yesterday, I talked on the opposite end of this yesterday, and I was just watching a video of Ronald Reagan talking about during his inaugural address uh, saying that in our current crisis, government's not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, you have a guy like Bernie Sanders that believes that government is the answer to all problems, and I don't subscribe to that. And I I, I could prove that with the American government, how inept and how inefficient they are. They are. And again, good people. I don't I don't I'm not attacking people as even saying they don't care. The machine itself is inefficient. And we have a bloated government that is over thirty two trillion dollars in debt. And you have politicians that are elected to office that say that the answer to that problem is to take even more wealth from the American people. And it just boggles my mind. The other end of this spectrum, though, is we live in a society where the quality of life is very good. I, I wanna, I'm want to. i going to establish an argument that's a little bit different, and it may make ruffle some feathers with some people, but it's accurate. We have a quality of life that is pretty dang high um, in America. If you compare the, the working poor in America to poor around the world, it's not even close. That doesn't mean that poverty doesn't exist, and it doesn't mean that poor people aren't hurting. I it's absolutely the truth, but we have to acknowledge what's happening. The average American household has more televisions in it than people. And if you count screens, I've said I said this the other day, if you count screens, tablets, laptops, whatever, we have way more screens in our homes than um, than people. When you look at the, the working poor in America, many of them have automobiles. Most of them have cell phones, smartphones, so they can stay in contact with the rest of the world. Um, it, is, it is a different level of poverty. We should be working to end it. We should be working to lower its uh, numbers. Absolutely, absolutely. To, you know, if you are in downtown Phoenix and you are somewhere in downtown Phoenix near where the Phoenix Suns play, the Footprint Center, and you go to one of the restaurants or bars or event centers, you go to a concert, and then you go west just a couple of miles to where the zone is, it's like you've entered a different country. There's no doubt about that. Homelessness is a big issue. And we should be doing everything we can to address it. The city of Phoenix has partnered with St. Vincent de Paul, and a homeless shelter that will include a veterinary center. And there are many people that say, well, wait, hang on a minute. What are we doing housing animals? Well, part of the issue is there are some people that are on the street that all they have is a pet and they won't leave the streets unless they can take their pets. Now, I'm with you. I understand. I I think having a pet is something that's more of a privilege than a right. Um, But if it's going to get people off the streets and there is money that is there for it, let's just let it go for a moment. Let's talk about what St. Vincent Paul is doing. I talked about them earlier. Um, the efficiency. Let's just start with the efficiency. Um, just a couple of things I know in my relationship with St. Vincent de Paul and going down and volunteering and getting to know the people there. Um, there are a couple of things you must know about them. Uh, one of the things is they collect furniture. As you know, they'll get donated furniture that they sell in the St. Vincent de Paul stores. When a piece of furniture comes into the donation center. And it is not up to par. It's not usable. It's not something they can sell. They don't just scrap it. They don't just throw it in a dumpster or burn it. They take it apart. They take out the screws. They reuse the screws. If there is fabric that's available to reuse, they take that. They take the sponge out of the side. Sometimes they reuse the pieces of wood. And That efficient. They have a bicycle ministry where they give bicycles to kids and they give bicycles to adults to get themselves to work or to job interviews. So they have volunteers that will take pieces from one bike to build another bike. So they're not wasting parts. They're reusing them anywhere they can. They squeeze every penny out of every dollar that's donated. It is is a remarkable place that sees a huge sense of responsibility of how they spend the donor's money. And it's when the people donate, and I'm one of them, when people donate, They understand that there's a level of seriousness taken with that money. It's not that way with a government entity, even if they wanted to be. Government forces you to – they take your tax dollars. They confiscate your money, and then they allocate it for things. And when there's waste, they just allocate more money. The Department of Defense, and there is nobody out here, nobody within the sound of my voice that is more pro-military than I am. Some of you might be as pro-military, but you are not more pro-military than I am. The Department of Defense has billions of dollars in equipment that it cannot account for. They don't know where it is. Billions of dollars. It's just an inefficient machine. So the city of Phoenix partners with St. Vincent de Paul. They know the problem of homelessness and hunger because they're immersed in it. They're immersed in it. Their motto is to feed, clothe, house, and heal. That's what they live to do. So for the city of Phoenix to partner with them makes so much sense to me that you are going to say to an organization, you have been doing this for decades. You've been doing it very, very well. You know the problem. You know the solutions to the problem. And you can do it as efficiently as anybody possibly can do it. I think that's a home run. That is a home run to have a private organization doing something like this. In partnership, sure, partnership with the city. That's great. But the city has got to let them fix the problem. They're the experts. You know, I've, I've gone I've, – I, I, we've taken a group of people with the Action Alliance – a couple of times and the reason why we went to St. Vincent de Paul to start with when it came to serving meals is because again the efficiency of people's times when you show up to serve a meal they have a job for everyone no one is standing around and then when it comes time to cook we make the meals or at least assemble everything that's happening we get it all set up to go we set the tables water on the tables salt and pepper on the tables all of those things and then we serve the meals kind of cafeteria style we clean up when it's all done we clean everything and we leave it is an amazing process of efficiency of time and it's why we chose them because if you are going to come to one of our events and volunteer your time we don't want to waste your time and if we're going to attack problems in this country at some point we have to stop looking at government agencies as the solution to the problem And I'm not knocking government agents. I'm not knocking people that are involved or elected to government offices. But as citizens, we know the private sector does it better. So every opportunity to let the private sector solve the problem, we should be letting them solve the problem. It's just that simple. Coming up in a moment, we're going to get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's a segment we do every day at 1120 called Did You Hear This? We'll do it coming up here in just a moment strong values and strong opinions the mike broomhead show ktar news 92.3 fm and the ktar news app all right it's time to get you caught up on the biggest headlines of the day did you hear this did you hear this broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories
1: Yesterday, the Biden administration announced they would be sending 1,500 troops to the southern border ahead of the expiration of Title 42. Senator Kirsten Cinema commented yesterday on the order.
2: 1,500 bodies is better than not 1,500 bodies. But no one can claim that that is going to be enough. We're seeing over 1,000 single male adults come through the Tucson sector every single day. We don't have enough buses to transport those individuals to other parts of
0: the country.
1: What else does the Biden administration need to do to help border towns and law enforcement. We need
0: more people that are qualified as border patrol agents and CBP agents and they do different things down there. We also need to be sending the message that the American people are not going to have you walking across our border and then staying in the country extended period of time uninvited. You will have to make your claim somewhere else or you will be quickly turned around and sent back across the border. It's a dangerous journey, it's a long journey, it's an expensive journey and it's not going to be worth it because you're not going to Be allowed to stay. Once that message starts to get back to people, they'll start ignoring the cartels who are saying that it's done very easily and it will send a clear message. That would be a great place to start.
1: New York Senator Chuck Schumer has strong words for Republicans on how they are handling the debt ceiling crisis.
0: If President Reagan were around today, he might well be exiled by a modern Republican party that in many ways seems dead set, dead set on abandoning that special responsibility never to default.
1: Do you agree or disagree with his statement? I
0: disagree with this statement only because no one says that we are going to default. Nobody in the Republican side of the aisle is saying they want to default. What they are saying is in order to raise the debt ceiling, they want some guarantees of spending cuts because we're $32 trillion in debt. We continue to spend at a deficit. If you look at the coffers of the United States Treasury, we continue to collect record revenue every month, every quarter of the year, every single year, going back to previous administrations, too, and we continue to spend at a deficit. At some point, you have to be able to say, in order for us to raise our debt ceiling so that we can pay our debts, we're going to do that, but you have to guarantee cuts in spending. That is the negotiation tool that's being used. He understands that this is nothing but politics. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines.
1: San Francisco is dealing with an exodus of major retailers leaving the city due to a variety of conditions and complaints from customers and employees alike.
0: The Westfield Mall says a closure underscores a deteriorating situation in San Francisco. A mall spokesperson saying retailers are leaving due to unsafe conditions for customers, retailers and employees.
1: How can San Francisco get these businesses back? Just like every
0: other city, you've got to get a handle on crime. A new message has to be sent. It is more law enforcement officers, but you have to have the, the prosecutors that will do the job, and you have to have the judges that will throw the book at people that have shown themselves that they can't be in society like the rest of us. This has got to be- Be a three pronged approach by everybody involved, but you have to talk to people about investment in those communities. You want to know one of the reasons why poor communities stay poor communities is because people don't invest in those communities. They're afraid of crime, they're afraid of other things that are happening. But if you want to see a community get revitalized, what you do is you invite in private sector dollars by ensuring them that your customers will come there, your businesses will be safe, and that's how you revitalize a community. San Francisco is one of the most beautiful places in america there is no reason for the city of san francisco to be going through this they have got to redouble their efforts it's public safety and when they do that people will flock back there
1: a new national report card shows that eighth graders are falling behind in u.s history and civics
2: Overall, only 13% of students performed at what's considered a proficient level in U.S. history last year, 46% of students are at the basic level, and 4 in 10 have knowledge that's below what's considered the basic level, all those numbers down from 5 years ago.
1: Should we be just as concerned about these numbers as we are about reading and math? Sure. You know, the old adage
0: that says that people that don't know history are doomed to repeat it, and I think that's a big part of things. We have taken our eye off the ball. We know that online learning and in-home learning was a big detriment to the students, whether it was necessary for as long as it happened or not, it happened. So we know that's a part of it. But I also think that we have lost focus. You look at what we're fighting about in schools now, it's gender identity and pronouns and all of the things that have nothing to do with what is the core of what schools should be doing. So we need to get people on school boards that refocus those efforts in making sure that every student that wants to be on a campus, that wants to learn, has the opportunity to learn. The second part of it, to say it again and again and again is safety. We have got to make sure that schools are safe. And in many cities, and many places, teachers don't feel safe and neither do students. Great job, Julia. As always, we will do it again tomorrow at 1120. And good news for you, Suns fans. Our qualifier did not call. Caleb didn't call, which means we opened the phones. The phone number is 602 277 Five eight two seven. Caller number five six zero two two seven seven five eight two seven. You will be qualified. You will be registered to win those Suns playoff tickets. Good luck to everyone involved. Coming up in a moment, we shift our focus back to the border. The Yuma sector of—I'm sorry—the southern border and Yuma Regional Medical Center is the topic of conversation next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Alright, a big congratulations to Amanda. And I don't know if I should say Amanda's last name because if Amanda wins the ticket she's going to be inundated with people. She's registered right now, but Amanda Phillippe is the qualifier for Suns playoff tickets. Um, And if you want to get, uh, they're going to call another name out in the 4pm hour today. So be listening for your name if you're registered. Um, If you're not, you can just Text the word TICKET to 411923 923 and get registered. We've been talking about the border issue and um, about the expense and what's happening at the border. There are so many things, um, and I would advise people, seek out any time you have an opportunity – to hear from uh, uh, Congressman Juan Ciscomani down at the border. Um, Congressman Siscomani is uh, from southern Arizona. He's a Mexican immigrant. He is someone that is um, really well-versed on the border issue and is so succinct in how he is able to describe the three issues that he says are, that we face. One of them is a security issue, a border security issue. The other is an immigration issue. And the other is a commerce and trade issue. And how they all all are independent of each other with independent solutions but they all work together and they do. We are dealing right now with a border security crisis but it is spilling over into the other areas as well. So I wanted to hear Senator Cinema uh, was talking about this and how helpful it will be to have these 1500 troops
2: 1,500 troops should be helpful. Now, I will say, we got that announcement this morning. My team has asked for a briefing. We've got no information about what it's going to look like. But 1,500 bodies is better than not 1,500 bodies. But no one can claim that that is going to be enough. The reality is is that we're seeing over 1,000 single male adults come through the Tucson sector every single day. We don't have enough buses to transport those individuals to other parts of the country. We don't have enough holding facilities to keep them incarcerated until a disposition has been made we don't have the space the money or the person power to address this crisis 1500 people will help but we both know it's nowhere near enough
0: and so the reaction, this is the reaction from Senator Cinema when Secretary Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, says that our border is secure.
2: Obviously, the border is not secure. Anyone with eyes can see that. And anyone who lives in a border state like I do, born and raised in Arizona, actually takes offense at comments like that because they're just factually not true.
0: So and and that's exactly how it is. When Corinne Jean Pierre yesterday, we played the audio for you. I believe it was the day before yesterday on Monday. She made the comment that we've seen a ninety percent reduction in illegal immigration. That's not the case. So what will this look like, and and what will happen next? I, I keep saying, I keep putting this back on voters because I just think that we are failing as voters. We've elected people that are failing, but we aren't replacing them. Um, and that's I think everybody in the House of Representatives and I, being in the House has got to be tough. Because one year you're raising money and the next year you're running for office. Every two years you're up for reelection. It's got to be a difficult dance. But every two years, the American people could replace the entire House of Representatives. The Democrats think the old Republicans shouldn't be there. As a matter of fact, old and white is what they call the Republican Party. And they point to Congress and they say that's an example of the old white party. Well, if you take a look, the Democrats are suffering that right now. Nancy Pelosi, no spring chicken. Diane Feinstein. Einstein in the Senate also having a very difficult time losing her faculties but look at the republicans you got Mitch McConnell spent an extended period of time outside of his office because of a fall he took um the reason why we don't replace people more often is because we have the same people voting for the same people. I keep harping on this, but at what some point, Americans have got to be sick enough of what's happening to at least make their voices heard. When the Tea Party movement started, for anybody that was around there for the foundation of that, I was – And I remember how refreshing it was to see new faces at events. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You would go to an event somewhere and you would meet people you'd never been out before politically active in anything. They were had, they had signs. I remember meeting a couple specifically and a bunch of people standing around them echoing the sentiment and said, I never imagined I would be sitting here with a a poster board and a political sign but they had finally had enough and the Tea Party movement happened. At the time, the first round of Speaker Pelosi, she called it, she said it wasn't a grassroots movement, it was astroturf, that it was conjured. And it was not. It was the average American who came out. And there have been issues that have been very important to the masses of American people. I'll I'll give you an example that is one that I don't necessarily agree with, but you have to respect it. When uh, the Supreme Court, overturned Roe v. Wade to the extent that it sent the power back to the states. There was a huge uprising of American people in individual states across this country that demanded an access to some level of of abortion care, of abortion for women, legalized abortion for women. Happened here in Arizona. It happened in states across this country. And I, I thought to myself then, isn't it interesting that this topic, this topic is so motivating to people that it causes them to take to the streets and sends a clear message to politicians, that their uh, position of power is in very grave danger if they vote the wrong way on this, if they don't allow things to go the way that the voters want. Now, I am somebody that is adamantly pro-life. I'm not not apologetic of that. I am a pro-life person. But you have to respect the activism of people that took to the streets and said, all right, all of you elected officials, now it's in your hands. Guess what's going to happen if you vote the wrong way? And largely... They've been winning all over the country. So what is it about these other important issues, whether it's the border or whatever else it is, what is it about us that we just don't at some point? The school thing for me is one of the most important things. This border issue we're talking about right now, uh, why are we not more embarrassed as a country about the dreamers? As citizens of this nation, we have have created – An underclass, because these adults now were children when they were brought to this country by no fault of their own. And they were raised in American schools with the permission of the American government. The families were allowed to stay. The kids are educated here. They now want to become productive citizens of this country. They don't know the country they came from, and they're not citizens of this one. They are stuck in the middle, and they still are. The DREAM Act happened two administrations ago. It happened during the Obama administration. We still can't fix that in the United States Congress. We still haven't figured out how we are going to satisfy the needs of the dreamers in a way that's acceptable and legal to the American public. And yet, with what we've seen happen, especially in the last two years plus, we have seen – An increase where we are creating that exact same issue that your kids and your grandkids will have to deal with. We have created and are creating that next generation. And no one, we complain about it. I complain about it on the air. You complain about it in your normal conversations. We all hear it. It's a conversation that happens at work. It happens at when you have people over for dinner. We live in a border state. Nobody can believe what's going on and why nothing's getting done. And how many people that listen to what I'm saying right now or have those conversations where they have very vocal opinions, when it comes time to stand up and tell elected officials, listen, you're not getting a penny of my money, a minute of my time or my vote ever until you start making some changes and commitments. And if we did that, if we did it, we just saw it happen with the abortion issue. We just saw it happen. There was, there was this huge sense of relief from pro-life people, and I warned against it, that you better watch out that some states may have pretty strict abortion laws, but states like California are going to have very lenient laws. The celebration was short-lived because the people that have been advocates for some level of abortion available to, to, to women in their individual state was so loud, so vocal – That politicians said, yeah, our lives, our political lives depend on this. Where is that kind of enthusiasm for this border issue? Where's that kind of enthusiasm for the schools' issues? I think these are great questions. We're going to talk about those test stores and what we can be doing about our schools coming up here in just a moment. You know, the other thing that is is kind of mind-boggling to me as a society, we all agree on so much more than we disagree on. We find out, We and I guess I'm guilty of it. I think all of us um, that do something like this for a living where we want to try to grab people's attention, we sometimes focus on the things that make us angry. And that way, it kind of, that emotion is what keeps people attached. But it also is about, the. sometimes you find out, you talk to someone you disagree with and you find out how much you have in common. What's fascinating is there's many times on social media it's happened with me where what starts out on social media is an adversarial conversation that over time after you're done with the digs at each other and I'm as guilty as that as anyone I love sarcasm as much as the next person that by the time you get through some of those conversations you end up having a mutual respect. There are a couple of people that I converse with often on Facebook Messenger that I know when they check in with me, it's about to be a battle. But we laugh about it because we've developed a mutual respect. We both understand we want what's best and we talk about what we disagree about, but we respect each other when we agree. Um, when it comes to our schools, we're failing. I mean, I don't know anybody out there that can say we aren't unless you're of that mindset that says it's more about turning out good citizens than teaching them. They can't read. They can't write. They don't know history. All these report cards are coming out, and we continue to fail. The Department of Education in America is a failure, and that doesn't mean that it's, there aren't good people in education. It doesn't mean there aren't great teachers. We all remember the teachers we loved, and I do. Um but the system is failing as we're doing it right now. There's no doubt. Um, if you are an Arizona Cardinals fan, and I am one, we none of us like the direction the team has been going you know and i think that uh, michael bidwill is recognizing that and made some changes changed the gm changed the head coach hopefully moving in a different direction because he realized going in the direction he was continuing to go to thinking making minuscule and minimal changes was somehow going to satisfy the fan base we're talking about sports they realize in the nfl that's not going to work so making a big statement by making big changes well where are we as citizens Where are we making big changes when it comes to education in our world? Kids aren't safe on campus. I don't care what anybody says. The, The idea, if you listen to the narrative that says the reason why we have a teacher shortage is just money, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. It is a much more diverse problem than that. And you look at your world where you work. Do you think you make enough money? Do you like your job? You'll stay in a job you like. You'll stay working for a company that you like knowing you deserve more money. But you can be paid a lot of money and leave if you feel as if you're not respected. I've been through it. And I've, uh, I've left because I just thought I'm not going to be spoken to like this anymore. I don't care what's going on. I'd rather go somewhere else. And it is about how we're treated. It's about feeling safe when you're at work. And none of that's happening in our schools. Mesa Public Schools is talking about it now very openly about the questions that people are asking them when they come to the public commentary portions of their school board meetings. Parents and students and faculty are very concerned about the restrooms and the safety in their restrooms. Phoenix Union High School District, I've been chronicling that and trust me, I'm going through dozens of emails with more information on what's to come there. But we We have to start saying we, not they, we are failing our kids because we're not standing up. We're not forcing major changes. We should be. We should be looking at a failing school system in the city of Phoenix. We should be looking at test results and see that they are not where they need to be and send a clear message that we will run people. It'll be us individually or people that we trust, and we will run them to replace you on that school board. You will not have that job. We will put our money where our mouth is. We will put our money, our talent, and our time behind this because it's that important. It is so important to us that our children get a quality education in a safe environment that we will change change everything to make it happen including the school board and that if you send that message in one place the Washington school district the elementary school district that that let a bunch of student teachers go because they didn't agree with the school they went to stance on marriage so they canceled a contract with student teachers every single person that voted in favor of doing that on that school board should be gone with the need they have for teachers and the quality students that are at Arizona Christian University, you have a disagreement on a policy on marriage that's never been discussed with elementary school kids and you get rid of the teachers and then it just went away. That's our fault. When it goes away like that, that's our fault. It shouldn't go away. The people that make bad decisions should. The people that are charged with making sure our kids get a quality education and don't should go away. If we started activating people That have big passion, but they don't vote. Those are the people that will make all the difference in the world in this country. It's coming. It's just, what's it going to take to get us there? All right, social media users, at Broomhead KTAR is my personal Twitter handle. Uh, At Broomhead Show updates you on show events and guests. And Mike Broomhead, all one word, is how you find me on Instagram. Tomorrow morning, starting at just after 8 a.m., we'll be back for another edition of the show. Until then, great day. God bless.